Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. Hate is everywhere, and of course, this in regard to the situation that happened in London, and of course, is what we're going to start this hour off with. Uh, let me first update you on this story uh, coming out of London. Uh, this is out of the London Free Pl- uh, Press. Uh, police have made an arrest in connection with the Monday attack against a Muslim mom at a London, Ontario grocery store. On Tuesday, p- uh, police released a picture of the suspect asking for the uh, public's help in identifying her. News of the incident sparked outrage on social media and cast London into the national headlines after receiving multiple tips uh, about the suspect's identity and whereabouts through uh, public efforts. Police charged a 38-year-old woman. She was arrested at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. Uh, Police have not released her name. The 38-year-old woman has been charged with one count of assault, police said. Uh, The hijab-wearing mom holding a four-month-old baby said she was punched and spat on by a woman uh, at the Super King supermarket. The victim was punched, her hair and hijab pulled by her assailant. Police said there was no motive detected behind the attack. Uh, Police are asking witnesses of the attack uh, to forward any information to them that they can uh, provide. Let's bring in Rahil Raza. She is a Muslim-Canadian journalist, author, public speaker, media consultant, anti-racism activist, and interfaith discussion leader. She is with us now. Good afternoon, Rahil. How are you today? Good afternoon. I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us, Rahil. We always appreciate your thoughts. Uh, My pleasure. First of all, surprised that this happened here or in London. Well, yes, we're Canadians, and it's shocking and surprising that hate in this way can be, um, you know, perpetuated against an innocent person. And we in Canada pride ourselves on tolerance and compassion, and we don't do this kind of thing. And it is terrible, it's shocking, it's unacceptable, it's appalling, and it should never happen. And it seems almost worse that the person was wearing a red Canada T-shirt. Well, (laughs) I mean... You know, I don't think that this is something that she may have planned when she was thinking that... Picking uh, her wardrobe. ...to attack the person. No, but obviously there's a certain amount of patriotism there, and it it just seems ironic, doesn't it? Well, it's ironic and it's shameful, because as I said, if we identify as Canadians, these are not the kind of things we do. We do not attack innocent people. We do not lash out. And at the time we are living in, I think it's really important for people to understand that hate and bigotry is never a solution to a problem. However, we need to also look at the larger picture. I'm glad that the perpetrator was, uh, was arrested and there will be some justice uh, in, in the sense of, you know, whatever punishment is doled out to her. And hopefully she'll never think of doing something like this again. But, um, you know, the larger picture is that we are living in times when um, anger and frustration is growing among everyone um, about what they see on the media, about the news that they read. I would uh, make a presumption, maybe right or wrong, that this person in the red T-shirt had probably never known a Muslim or met a Muslim, and the only thing she knew about Islam and Muslims is what she sees on television. And the reason for this is our fault, because there isn't enough communication and outreach and discussion and debate and dialogue. Uh, You know, we can't um, uh, ignore the fact that we are living in very, very challenging times when there is a lot happening in the name of Islam and, and in, uh, in the Muslim world, which people tend to see. But when political correctness stops conversation where you can't ask normal questions of people, when you can't have a conversation, then it, it, 
it, um, you know, perpetuates itself in very unexpected and sometimes violent ways. Not that it's justified, but it just goes to show that we need to urgently have the larger conversation. And this is what we're trying to do. This is why my organization and I'm out there trying to create a balance between the two extremes, trying to create a balanced conversation, trying to create a reasonable and logical conversation because people want answers. Whose responsibility is it to reach out like that? I mean, is it everybody else's responsibility in the Muslim community to clear up any sort of misconceptions in the non-Muslim community? Whose responsibility is it? It's everyone's responsibility. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a Muslim and there's something happening in my house that is really terrible, it becomes my responsibility to speak about it. So it is everyone's responsibility, because let me assure you that what is happening in the world today, the Orlando terrorist attack and other terrorist attacks, is not a ghettoized Muslim problem. If it is happening in Canada, it is a Canadian problem. If it's happening in America, as in the case of the Orlando shooter, it is an American problem. And the onus and responsibility lies on everyone, more importantly, on our leaders. But when the leadership gags us by saying that you can't use the term Islam or ask about terrorism, where you can't use the term jihad or radical Islamist, then, of course, that conversation is stifled, and people don't have an outlet. They're terrified. This whole idea that if someone asks you a question... Now, I have had people ask me, are all Muslims terrorists? And it's a valid question in light of what's happening in the world today, but I don't get my back up and think that that's a racist question. It's a very good question, and I need to be able to respond with reason and logic and to explain what the real situation is. But if people are gagged from using the terminology and if they are uh, told that any time they open their mouth and say the word Muslim, they're being racist, then we have a much bigger problem. So uh, are we too politically correct? Is it okay to ask questions that some may perceive as being ignorant? okay to ask questions please this is what we welcome we want people to ask questions i spend you know at least eight hours a day speaking to groups and people and media exactly for this reason that you must be able to ask the questions political correctness is not only choking us political correctness is creating an atmosphere of us and them it's creating an atmosphere of fear. People are afraid. We are living in times when people are afraid, and it is justifiable that they're afraid. And if they're not able to express their fear, if they're not able to express their concern for fear of political correctness, then that fear just stays inside, and it grows and unfortunately manifests itself sometimes in very, very difficult ways and in violent ways. And we don't want that. We want the conversation to flow. Everybody should be able to ask questions. There is no question that is off limits. How often does this happen? We've certainly heard of incidents in Toronto over the last several months, and now this situation in London. What are your it's thoughts not, on that? Thankfully, we live in Canada, where, at least to my knowledge, this is not something that is happening all the time. You know, there are organizations and institutions which would like you to believe that there is institutionalized racism against Muslims. That is not the case. Muslims live in Canada with many, many freedoms that they don't even have in the countries where they come from. And so we have religious freedom, we have freedom of dress, freedom of expression. So this is something that I'm very proud of. Unfortunately, there's always a few bad apples. There are people who are bigoted and full of hate. And it happens all the time. I get at least three emails from people every day telling me how terrible I am and Islam is evil and all of that. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that, Raheel? 
Well, I ignore most of it because it, they're not really asking for a response. They're ranting. Mm. There's a difference between people who want to rant and a difference between people who really want to know. There are people who write to me because they want to know what the reality is. Are all Muslims terrorists? Are all terrorists Muslims? I've just spent two hours writing uh, a piece on this. I respond to them by giving them the truth, the truth that while all Muslims are not terrorists, in the recent times, many of the, Muslim, the attacks have been by terrorists who are Muslim. But that does not mean that we need to slam an entire community. There are Muslims like me, practicing observant Muslims, and thousands of others who are trying to bring about change, who are trying to explain what has happened. So there needs to be a conversation about how this ideology of hate and violence has been allowed to perpetuate and live in our midst while many of us, most of us, are not speaking out and condemning it loud and clear, including our political leaders and our religious leaders. And all this is due to fear, appeasement, political correctness. Whatever the reason is, it's not helping us. It's not helping the cause. It's not helping the world. Let me play devil's advocate here, here, uh, Raheel. Yep. Uh, some will say uh, there no, is no such thing as a moderate Muslim. It's in the Quran, right there. I mean, there it is. What? what well, is that, 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 that they <laughs> are superior and death to everyone else. Well, no, that's, I think, part of the ignorance that's out there. The Quran does not say death to everyone else. The Quran says if you kill one human being, it is like killing all of humanity. So, you know, one should not uh, let bigotry or ignorance get the better of them. There has to be a better understanding, and that's where the conversation is. And I'm glad you're playing devil's advocate, because I get this question all the time as well. As far as a moderate Muslim, you know, that's a label that even the Muslim Brotherhood uses, and even ISIS calls themselves moderate. That's not the point. The point is, to be a Muslim means that you have to be balanced. There should be no extremes. There is absolutely no ruling to kill people. There isn't in any faith. And Islam is just the youngest of the three monotheistic Abrahamic faiths. It is actually the story, the Quran is the story of the Jews and Christians, and it is just at a different time and a different place. Now, the fact that there, ha- there are parts of it that have been taken out of context and out of historical context and have been mutated and that, you know, ISIS justifies using Islam for their uh, barbaric acts against innocent human beings is an aberration and that a mutation of the faith, which is exactly what we have to talk about. Mm. It's not being an apologist. I don't have to defend my faith. It's existed for over 1,400 years, and it will last. But I do need to speak the truth about the virus within the Muslim world, which is like a cancer. If we don't isolate it, identify it, expose it, and then find a cure, it will just grow and it will spread. How big is that virus? It's not big. It wasn't this big 30 years ago when we first started putting out the red flags and telling the world that there is a problem. But everybody was asleep at the wheel, especially the West and Western leaders. And even today you have leaders in the West who can't articulate that there is a problem because they're so scared of being called a racist or the white liberal guilt sets in and political correctness. It's getting much larger. It's much worse than when I was growing up. When I grew up, I was born in Pakistan. I grew up with an Islam that was very compassionate and very balanced, and even the country was very different. But we know that the ideology of Wahhabism from Saudi Arabia on the backs of billions of petrodollars has exported this ideology into the West, 
And now it exists here, and it's found a comfortable home because nobody is challenging it. Uh, we, we talk many ways of how to fight this, how to combat this. This isn't a typical war, a war on terror, because, of course, there's people that are interwoven into the fabric of countries around the world. How do we combat that? It's a war of ideas. It's an ideology. Yeah. And to all, in order to combat an ideology, you have to present an alternate narrative. But first of all, you have to understand and acknowledge that the problem exists. Our biggest problem, when I say ours, I mean our leadership, is that they're not willing to acknowledge that the problem even exists. So these attacks and this war against the West will go on and on and on until we can stand up and say, hold on, stop. What is this? It's a war against the West. And this is not me saying. ISIS and their ilk, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, they have declared a war on the West because they consider the West to be evil. It's actually very simple when you put it this way. It's really not that complicated. But it is hard for people to acknowledge this. Once we understand what the problem is, then we can start finding alternates. I mean, this, we're living in the first world. They have been able to combat communism and fascism and Marxism. Why can't they combat Islamism, which is political Islam, totally separate from spiritual Islam, which is what I follow and what I believe in? So how should our leaders address this? How should they combat? The leaders should address it by, uh, first of all, acknowledging we have a problem, and then coming together with Muslims and the leadership to say, find out where the problems are coming from. How many roundtables do we know are taking place where at least... I may have been invited as a reform-minded Muslim to say, okay, you know, you, you know the problem, you know the solution, let's talk to you. We're not at the table when the discussion takes place. The people who are brought to the table are the ones who are part of the problem. I have right now a YouTube video clip of an imam in Toronto saying that gays should be killed. Hmm. Is that a problem or not? Why? Yes. You know, why aren't people talking about it? So mm. we know where much of the problem is coming from, but are people willing to take action? Look, I'm a grassroots political activist. I'm not a, a leader. I'm not a policymaker. I can only expose the problem. We can only light a fire under the feet of our religious and political leaders, of our elected representatives, but the decision has to be taken by people at the top. How, how, how has Donald Trump's rise in America fueled what we've seen in, in London, Ontario, and, and, and just the, the general, general anti-Muslim sentiment? Well, it's actually ironical because both of them fuel each other. Anytime there is an attack, he becomes more popular because people then realize that, okay, he's saying something which is on their minds. He has a very crude way of saying it, and he goes to an extreme, but you have to acknowledge that what he's saying is what is on people's minds, and at least it started a conversation. You need to talk about these issues. We need to talk about these issues. Canadians are not immune from any kind of an attack. They need to be able to express their concerns, their fears, ask the questions, no matter how difficult those questions are, and we need to start that conversation. I don't know where and when it's going to happen, but I live in hope that maybe there will be a time very soon when we can have an open dialogue and conversation about jihadists, about this insurgency, about the problem. And I would like to be upfront when this is happening. Raheel, some may be very surprised at your opinion. Do you get that a lot? Of course. 
I don't do this for popularity. I gave up being popular a long time ago. I decided <laughs> I'd rather tell the truth. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing I've been saying consistently for the last 30 years. It hasn't changed. It's very unfortunate that what I said 10 years ago is still valid today, what I wrote in my book. We have a Muslim reform movement project going, which is, you know, very, very popular right now with Muslims and non-Muslims. It is a way of bringing Muslims into the 21st century, of letting go of some notions that were valid in the 7th century, are no longer valid, like the concept of armed jihad, which was a concept in the 7th century, is no longer valid today. So we are encouraging Muslims to say, put that behind us. And this is what other scriptures have done that have had violent passages, that they have put them aside and moved ahead into the 21st century. We, as Muslims, need to do that. We desperately need to embrace the values of compassion and tolerance and gender equality and, uh, you know, living in a liberal democracy in the West. This is something that we need to talk about. But, uh, you know, the movement is, is started to uh, build traction, but every movement takes a long time. You know, next year it will be 500 years from the uh, Christian Reformation. So we are just at the very beginning of even uh, talking about it. How much conflict, or is there, or discussion or debate about this, is there within the Muslim community? I mean, you were talking about the imam that was talking, that was anti-gay. I mean, how, 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 how many Muslims there are willing to stand up and call this person out for that? Well, it's hard to have numbers. I don't have statistics. But actually, I think we are at a tipping point where, you know, especially the youth, they are fed up. I see thousands of emails from young Muslims who are saying, we have to speak out. There are discussions happening on social media. Let's talk about Islamism. Let's talk about the problem. Let's uh, figure out. The on only issue is, or the only challenge is, that if you bring these people who will sit in my living room and slam everything that's happening like me, but if you ask them to speak in public, they're, they're afraid. Because to do what I do comes with, comes with its own set of challenges. People don't, don't want to face death threats. They don't want to be threatened or sued or, uh, you know, they don't want to be unpopular. They want to you know, go for Sunday lunches. I don't get invitations for Sunday lunches, but, uh, you know. Uh, that <laughs> I would love to have time. Sunday lunch with you, Raheel. It would be a fascinating yes. discussion. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, uh, before we leave, we just got about a minute or so left. A uh, billboard in Toronto went up. Uh, two people yelling at each other, a white male and a woman in, uh, in uh, hijab. Uh, and then the, I believe the phrasing was, go back to where you came from. And then the lady says, where? North York. Your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, now you've got third-generation Muslims here. So if somebody tells one of my children, go back where you came from, they're going to say, I'll go back to Etobicoke. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. People, I think your listeners and people must understand that hate and bigotry is never the solution. You know, let's have a conversation. Write to me. Tell me what your issues are, what your concerns are. Go to our website. See that there are Muslims who are making change, who are speaking out. You know, I've written an op-ed called, I, We Are Here. You say, where are the moderate Muslims? We are here. Where are you? Uh, website. What is the website? MuslimReformMovement.org and MuslimsFacingTomorrow.com. Raheel Raza has been with us, a Muslim-Canadian journalist, author, public speaker, media consultant, anti-racism anti activist, and interfaith discussion leader. Raheel, as always, fascinating discussion. We will certainly have you back. Thanks for the Thank time. You. Take care. Bye.